This is womensleadershipsuccess.com radio, episode number 73. How many of the limitations in your life and work do you assume you can't change? This may be a story that you tell yourself or you have been told that is just not true. Join us today to learn how Nelson Mandela, Peter Block, and other leaders have transformed their lives and businesses simply by changing the story. Welcome to Women's Leadership Podcast, showing you how to influence people, improve your performance, and advance your career. Brought to you by women's leadership and career expert Sabrina Brom and womensleadershipsuccess.com. Here's your chance to meet women trendsetters leading the way to success, accomplishment, and balance in business and life. No matter if you're a manager, CEO, or entrepreneur, join Sabrina for coaching and no-nonsense advice to improve your career and bottom line. This is womensleadershipsuccess.com radio. Today we have Shanae Swart with us, who is a narrative therapist, organizational development person. She happens to be a personal friend of mine and one of the most incredible humans that I know on the planet. She's going to be sitting there wondering about that, but it's actually true. <laughs> and we're talking to Shanae today in South Africa. Uh, welcome, Shanae. Thank you so much, and thank you for that gift. <laughs> <laughs> where, where are you in South Africa? I'm in Pretoria. That's about 60 kilometers from Johannesburg. Um, yeah, in the north of the country, and we're having a wonderful, super warm summer. And our first rains are just falling, so we're so grateful. And it's a um, little past 7 in the morning in California, and uh, what time is it there? Yeah, quarter past 5 in South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we, we're, we're close to a glass of wine already. <laughs> <laughs> I would not get any work done if I did that this early. <laughs> so you you wrote uh, a book called Reauthoring the World: The Narrative Lens and Practice for Organizations, Communities, and Individuals. And the book has profoundly changed the way I do organizational work and also uh, executive coaching. So I, it's a book that I have underlined and starred and all kinds of little tabs on. Unfortunately for my audience, they're only going to be able to get it on Kindle, but it is available on Kindle through Amazon. But I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit of how you discovered the narrative work and what, how that changed your own personal life. So um, I grew up always wanting to be a therapist. I remember as a child, I would go to the library and I would just read anything I could on therapy. And uh, in the late 90s in my own life, none of all those things that I've ever read was very useful to me. And a friend of mine said he found this kind of new kind of therapy. Am I interested? And I just said, try it on me. I am so ready <laughs> to find something that would, that would really shift something in the story that I was really stuck in. And I remember that first conversation even, kind of just by toe in the water, I realized that this work is, is different, so different. It just feels different. And I think the ma major shift that the narrative therapy brought in my own life is that for a long time, especially um, in the story that I felt I was, I was the problem and the story was somehow in me and that was the only possible identity I could hold. 
um, when I had this conversation in narrative therapy, the person is not the problem, the problem is the problem. And all of a sudden, I found myself in relationship to a story. The story no longer defined me, but I had a choice in the relationship I wanted with the story. And that is really how I fell in love with the work. It was, it really went through my life. And then I went on a mission to find out how I can study this. And I found a, a, a university course in master's and doctorate level. And then I thought, I'm going to be a therapist um, in a room with one other person for the rest of my life until I met an organization development consultant and um, called himself an OD practitioner. But I had no idea that that was a job. I thought it meant overdose. And then... <laughs> this world opened for me where I could just translate the ideas and I think that's how the book came about and I'm forever grateful to uh, an organization development consultant called Peter Block who thought that I could write something about it and kind of nagged me to do so and I worked a little bit and wrote a little bit and so the book reauthoring the world for me is really a way of translating the ideas to ordinary people outside of therapeutic context. I soon discovered that there's no way that I could give a CEO a book called What is Narrative Therapy? And that's how the book was born. It's just a way to welcome people from other disciplines um, outside therapeutic context into the work and into this lens. I see this more as a te- it's not a technique or a step-by-step approach, but it's definitely a way of seeing the world differently. And so I'm, I'm really forever grateful to all of those people that have uh, taken my hand along the way and, and invited me into, into work and into writing. And um, a lot of people said about the title, Reauthoring the World, that's quite presumptuous. Um, and I was thinking about that that title was kind of with me, I think, from the beginning. And, and it is something that I really truly believe in, is that if we understand the power of the, and the shaping um, quality of um, narratives and the narratives we live by, we could really reauthor how we see the world, how we participate in that world. So that's been my journey in short. Thank you. Um, and when I, when I first asked you, I was thinking in the book, reading about how you had been a, basically a housewife and had children. and were, That was your story. And you, that you, in the context of your world, you weren't allowed to do anything else. And that really hit me because that's the way I, I was when I was younger. I, I was a housewife and a mother, and the people around me, that was my own, the only role I could have. So we've both changed our stories. And yes. so much of the work that I do and that I see happening is there's people that don't know that they can change their story, whether it's individually or in their community or in their company, that the story that they've been told is they think that's the only option. And what I love about the narrative work is it's like it opens a window or opens, like you said, a lens to see that there are lots of other possibilities than that story that you've already been sold. For sure. So the beauty for me of of this work is that our stories didn't fall from the sky. And the stories we tell ourselves 
are enforced and reinforced by our cultural context, by our societal context that I just call taken for granted beliefs and ideas. Those are beliefs and ideas that have uh, been shaped over many years and we kind of, we, we grow into them and we grow up in them. And we think that that is the world and that's the only way to think or that's the only way that we could be, given all of the messages that we receive as children. And therefore, um, I think the other way that I also explain it is that these taken-for-granted beliefs are much like an ocean. So I use the David Wallace story where the old fish uh, swims past two younger fish and he says, Boys, how's the water today? And the two young fish look at one another and say, what the hell is water? Beautiful. And for, and for me, that is really what taken for granted beliefs and ideas are. They are so hidden because we grow up and we think this is the way it is. I grew up in Afrikaner cultural context that has certain ideas about what a good mother and a good wife is. And I... Um, supported those ideas. They weren't only my own my own ideas, but at some point the ideas became too single story, too thin, in terms of how I thought and dreamt about my life. So for me, it's a, a very very important point that when we think of an individual, we sometimes think they are the problem, and the problem magically lies in them. But problem stories have contexts that keep them alive and well. And when we realize that we are in relationship to those uh, contexts, to those problem stories, we can actually choose again. So I know there's a strong languaging that we need to change our story, but it's not really for me a change of the story, but a change of the relationship with stories that no longer make sense to us. Or if we look at it from a different angle, we can also say, say a living into the more the preferred stories of our life. Shanae, so I'm going to stop you right there for a minute. I'm this is so exciting, and I love what you're saying. And I'd like you to share a story about that. Maybe it could either be about the the community that you you talk about in your book, where there there was distrust among the people or apartheid, some story that talks about how the people thought about it and then, then they shifted it. Um, I, I recently worked with an organization that is involved in um, ending the conflict and involved with peace in the Middle East. And when I journeyed with them and we unpacked this context, this ocean, what was fascinating to them was how they have kind of become part of um, the invisibility. So what people would say is that your work doesn't really count. Look at the violence. And so the context that they are working in became so overwhelming that their voice was silenced in it. And in some cases, they were participating in the retelling of problem stories. And once they realized that this is the context that their organizations are working in, it was, a, well, empowerment was the word that they used. They felt that, oh, so this is where I'm working in and this is where I am living an alternative to this 
a dominant, taken-for-granted belief context. Um, I remember before I went to Israel, people were saying to me here in South Africa, oh, but the Palestinians and the Israelis have been fighting forever. You know, that's a conflict that will never end. And something like that is an example, particularly of those taken for granted beliefs and ideas. When people in society say, oh, but that's how it's always been, or um, this is normal, or um, this is life. Um, it's kind of a uh, giving over to a particular context, while at the same time people in this organization are living alternatives and having beautiful relationships and multiplicity of stories that doesn't support the dominant belief and idea. Um, so for me that has been a recent example that have given me so much hope that once people take back the pen in the writing of our lives, not only our individual lives, but also the societies and the communities that we are part of. We are writing the alternative and something is shifting where we can no longer say this happens all the time or this is always the truth because these exceptions become counter evidence to what people describe as the only reality. Wow, that is really, really beautiful. And can you say some more about, share another story or another example of how something was transformative, maybe in a company that you worked with? I once worked um, with a mine, and I remember... Explain what uh, a mine is. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, we have lots of mines in South Africa, gold mines and coal mines and platinum mines. The mining industry is quite big here in South Africa, okay. so I was working with a platinum mining company. And I remember that I, um, when I walked into uh, to meet the, the mine manager for the first time, um, and she can cut this out if the language is not appropriate, but, uh, you know, in his first greeting uh, with me, he said, this mine is shit. That was his introduction. Wow. <laughs> the problem story. So you're welcome to cut this. No, we, 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 appropriate for we, can, we can say that word. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that was kind of his, that is the problem story of the company. And um, as, I, as I journeyed with the executive team and with some of the middle managers and we laid out the land of, of all the stories of the organization, it was fascinating that there was also counter evidence to this shit mind story, if I can call it that. Uh -huh. um, because at the same time, they just won an award for the mine with the best relationship with the local community from the government. They also are one of the few mines that had a workshop underground and were, they could fix all their equipment underground. They didn't have to go up and then people had to wait forever for it to come down again so they can do the work. And so for me, this is what happens in organizations and countries and communities that we they always have the, the multiplicity of competing narratives that are um, there and present at the same time. And the question in companies is then how can we have more stories um, 
that are preferred and that are already there. For me, this is the beauty of it, that we are not telling people to change their story or think of a new story, but there are always already, but sometimes hidden, these stories that, that is already there and present and examples of how we can live into an alternative story. Um, this mind also just went through um, a major restructuring and they decided to call the process a healing process, um, which is also uh, kind of weird to think of a mining company that would do that. And for me, that that is the shift. If we think of organizations as, as ongoing conversations and ongoing unfolding of narratives, when we have these moments where we reflect on the on the multiplicity of narratives and ask ourselves, how can we have more of these narratives and how can we have less of these? Um, something shifts profoundly, I think, also in the ownership people take for the narratives. Sometimes um, organizations wait for leadership to make a difference or to tell us what to do or to bring the change. Um, but if we understand that as members of an organization, we all are participants in the crafting of the story, we are all, all co-authors of the story, then something can really shift. That is beautiful and it's exciting and so empowering that you're not just stuck with with the take it taken for granted story, the problem story, that you really could begin to look for other things that are going on that could really change to a what did you call it a more um, preferred pref the preferred story. Thanks for listening. Look forward to part two of this great interview with Shanae Schwartz to learn how to change your story coming soon. And can you do me a favor? I would really appreciate you giving me a great review too. Every great review we get allows more women to discover the show and helps them to succeed. Please visit iTunes and subscribe to Women's Leadership Success Podcast. Also, I really appreciate you sharing my show with your friends and associates. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining your host, Sabrina Brahm, on another Women's Leadership Podcast. If you have questions or comments, you can email her at sabrina at sabrinabrahm.com. Since 1989, Sabrina and her team have helped hundreds of women managers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs with valuable trainings, articles, books, and executive coaching. For additional tips, interviews, and free access to Great Leaders Today mini-course, visit www.womensleadershipsuccess.com.